On today's episode, we're going to talk about being a byproduct of the environment that you live in and maximizing time, energy, and focus. Let's go. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Blind Entrepreneur. I am your host, Jonathan Grisbowski, and today I have with me Chris Sparks. He's a productivity coach for The Forcing Function. Chris is a coach for top-performing entrepreneurs, helping them build the systems and habits to maximize their time, energy, and focus towards building their business and designing their personal lives. Chris, how is your day going? Fantastic. It's good to be here, Jonathan. Good to be talking to you guys. Awesome. So you have a fantastic view. You have a nice backdrop. The, the setting is just right, but we can't begin asking the questions until we get to the icebreaker. So imagine you just had the absolute best day of your life. What is that one piece of food that will make your day complete? Yeah. Uh, so I think the first answer is usually the best one. Uh, there's this steak place that's opened nearby called Saint Anselm where you can uh, you can split a couple ways, or if you're looking to take a couple day nap, you can try it yourself. And they have these 60 ounce steaks that are on the bone, you know, like this thick, and you just eat them, and they're done perfectly, and you just you just get filled with this like caveman energy, and I haven't found a better steak, so that that would be kind of like my big reward for a day well done if I wanted to continue to try to ramp up. So great answer, but I have a follow-up yeah. qu uh, uh, question yeah. to that. So how are you getting the steak done, and are there, Me is there anything rare, on it? Way to go. Medium rare, okay. Anything on it? Uh, like a big, big ball of like goat butter. Nice. Let's just, and just let it like melt and kind of rub it in there. And so just, yeah, it's nice. With and your hands, right? Rub it in. With my hands. That's right. Only, that's and just eat go. the steak with yeah. your hands too, because why the f not? <laughs> oh, you pick, you pick, you just pick it right up by the bone. There you yeah. go. <laughs> the person that you might be with uh, at the restaurant might judge you, but you know what? It's all worth it because you're having a good steak. So. Uh, Chris, without, without further ado, tell us about yourself. Who are you and what is your story? Cool. Uh, so, yeah, as I said before, um, I think these days working with entrepreneurs on their productivity, which actually touches a wide range of things. But I, I, the way I look at it is helping, um, helping entrepreneurs get clear on their top priorities and then removing the obstacles towards achieving those, which usually fall under those three buckets you mentioned, time, focus, and energy. So, a lot of our conversations focus on um, figuring out what those most important priorities are and then zeroing in on those bottlenecks and kind of creating these self-contained experiments to try to remove them from from from, uh, from view, from being a bottleneck. Uh, my, my past, probably the most interesting uh, part of my story is as a professional poker player for five years. So this idea of performing at peak is very close to heart for me. Uh, when I retired in 2011, I was actually ranked in top 20 in the world for online play. So uh, some of my current clients are either high-stakes poker players or former high-stakes poker players. I definitely appeal to that market a lot. I also had uh, my forays into entrepreneurship as well when I came to New York. Uh, I, I stumbled upon this coaching model in that I, I looked at 
my trajectory, these these large, hairy goals that I had with my life and looking at the trajectory and realizing that I wasn't on the path to get there. And that's kind of what led me to start down this productivity rabbit hole. But before that, I had kind of learned the secret that the fastest way to learn something is by teaching it. So a huge part of my poker success was I was a really active coach and investor in the poker space. And after that, once I decided, oh, what are all the uh, the interesting, smart people that I know doing? It's like, oh, they're starting companies. It's okay, I want to start a company, but I don't really have any tangible skills that I can you know, start a business from the ground. Uh, so I started started doing marketing consulting for entrepreneurs and kind of build a skill set there so become an entrepreneur. And from there, I went on to be like, you know, leading marketing at a couple different startups, but I've always... I've always kind of had my eye on being my own boss and doing my own thing. So I think, you know, working for someone else is a really awesome way to increase your learning curve and teaching is a really good way to, te- to learn as well. But yeah, I've always been kind of geared towards like, how can I make this work on my own? Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious because there's got to be some correlation between poker and also the productivity hacks. So let's just get right into it because I'm really curious to hear your approach. Um, yeah, I'm sure you talk to a ton of entrepreneurs that are uh, that are busy. There's probably no work-life balance. They're working nine to nine, maybe even longer. Um, what are sort of common themes that you see within entrepreneurs nowadays, or the people that you at least talk to? Yeah, I really cue in on that word busy. Busy is a decision. Um, when someone says they don't have time, it means they haven't made it a priority which is fine. I think all decisions around productivity come down to what are the top priorities. So it's just like this notion of success and that success is self-defined, right? You look at someone who everyone, uh, every entrepreneur I think would say is is successful like Richard Branson. But what if Richard Branson's definition of success is living a quiet life and reading books and not really having too much stress, but he just can't help himself. He just has to keep starting companies, right? So everyone looks at this kind of universal definition of success and projects it onto other people and thus kind of projects it onto themselves as far as am I being successful rather than coming from this inner scorecard. So I think it all comes down to, as I said in the beginning, understanding like what kind of life you want to design, what success means to you. And once you have that kind of destination in mind, you can start to create a roadmap. And that's that's where I really kind of come in is I try to, in the, it's inherent in the business name, the forcing function, I force entrepreneurs to make these hard choices up front, that kind of one-time heavy lift that informs all of their future choices. It kind of gives clarity uh, to these easy decisions because trade-offs become very obvious once you have a hierarchy of priorities in mind. Um, once this prior, once these priorities have been set, um, I like to I like to think about things in terms of these 90-day experiments. So I work with entrepreneurs usually for 90-day periods and thinking about, okay, Let's, let's take 25 years, for example, you have these crazy goals of, let's say you want to become a best-selling author and you want to have a six-figure exit, uh, six figures, nine-figure exit, you know? Uh, what's 1% of the way there? How can we get 1% of the way there in 90 days? So creating a roadmap and then looking at, okay, where is your time really going? When you get at this to say, okay, I don't have any time, how your, your current spending of time is a reflection of your current priorities. How does this line up with where you'd like that to be? And essentially you just look at the highest value activities you're doing and the lowest value activities and you just move from one bucket to the other where um, a lot of this comes down to just making small changes over time. 
And there's going to be a lot of low-hanging fruit in the beginning where you think about uh, like a power law, right? Where the in a, in a given day, your most valuable hour is worth more than all the other hours combined. How can you really protect that important hour? How can you figure out what that most important activity is? Um, what was likely doing that first? But more importantly, all of the other things that you could be doing at that hour because of opportunity costs come at the expense of that. So um, productivity kind of coming from constraints in that way. How can you remove these other options so that you can make that most most value out of that hour? Um, so if I can kind of, yeah, the, the, the summary there as far as um, the commonalities I always see, first, not being clear on priorities. So thinking, okay, this is my top priority and then everything else gets built around that. So how can we frame a schedule where this always happens? And then looking at these low value activities that you don't really need, either can be eliminated completely or you personally don't need to be done. They can be delegated, they can be systematized, things that are say worth $10 at the hour and they're coming at the expense of your $1,000 an hour activities. And that's a really easy arbitrage that kind of questions this, this idea of busy is that you're doing all these $10 an hour activities instead of these $1,000 activities. So just shift one bucket to the other. So I'm curious, um, what are $10, like what are some common $10 activities that you think that could be less priority? And then what are potential $1,000 uh, activities for, for entrepreneurs? Yeah, so I'd say there's three buckets in this productivity game. So I think when everyone thinks about productivity, they think about how I can work more hours or they think about these productivity hacks, which is just such a misnomer as far as how can I work smarter or more efficiently. And those are fine and there's some returns there, but you, you quickly reach those diminishing returns and you cap out in the amount of work that you can do in a day without burning out. And you cap out on the returns from these productivity hacks where no tool is going to change your life. Um, the third dimension, let's say, that's, that's quickly and most often ignored is this idea of courage, that the, most, the thing that's scaring you most is probably the most important thing you need to be doing. So sending that email, um, trying to build that partnership, um, creating that new marketing channel, what are these things that have the opportunity to 10X your business rather than looking at all these incremental things? And I think because our ego is so intimately tied to our business, right, where failing or appearing badly is a reflection on ourselves, we spend so much time on these trivial window dressing type things, like making meaningless changes to a website or to our bio or replying to emails that aren't going to move the business forward. Um, all these kind of managerial things that if you just didn't do at all, no one would really notice except for yourself. And trying to think about like, how can I literally break my business? How can I do something that just transforms me? And those are generally the things that are going to be most scary because those take us out of the comfort zone. Um, so I think about that, that those thousand dollar activities, thousand dollar activities generally have this positive optionality where it might not go anywhere, but if it works, it could have a massive impact and everything changes. Um, you think about this idea of the theory of constraints that applies to um, our personal productivity, that there's one thing that's most limiting us at any given time. If you Once you've solved that constraint and the whole system is more streamlined, everything changes and you, you have to create this whole new paradigm where Everything in your life is so differently is so different that focusing on that number two thing would have made no impact. Um, hmm. The greater point I'm trying to make here is one focusing on that bottleneck and two 
once you know where your time is most valuable spent, um, all your other decisions become very easy because it becomes building your life and your routine around that activity. Yeah, that's interesting. But a lot of people don't even, I, I think you hit a really good point, which is courage and fear. They, or, or just sheer laziness, they get into this like motion of, um, I need to do this, I need to do that. And they're such small activities. Um, to somebody who may not be able to, who may not be ready for an individual like yourself, a productivity coach, what are like small steps that I could take today if I'm a entrepreneur looking for uh, funding or if I'm an entrepreneur just like, you know, looking to just uh, move one step, uh, break that glass ceiling a little bit? What's like a, just a few things that I could do today to prepare myself for tomorrow? Yeah, I look at every day as preparation for tomorrow. Um, I think everything really comes down to habits. So I'd be thinking about what are the things I can reliably doing every day to get me closer to these goals, right? So the example you gave raising money, what, what are the steps that get me reliably to raising around? Is it talking to investors? Is it building a marketing deck? Um, is it having my landing page? And then building out um, this roadmap of how I get there and setting aside the time and your schedule so you reliably make progress on it every day. I think... I think it, it's this kind of unseen secret in this world that in order to improve something, all you need to do is measure it, right? So if you want to improve your, your um, spending time, measure where it's going. And at the end of the day, what were the low value activities and say, okay, I'm just going to stop doing those. Or what were the valuable things I was doing? How can I do more of those? You want to improve your diet, just start tracking what you're eating. Um, everything naturally improves once you have these feedback loops in place that say you can always say oh okay what did i learn how can i do that differently and that's the key to all of this is having this long-term orientation everyone wants to change overnight and the misnomer is that that's even possible it's this idea of a heavy lift those changes are not sustainable so the perfect diet is the one that you can stick to the perfect productivity routine is the one you can stick to every day it's making these small one percent changes that have massive compound effects in the long run so i'd be looking at what are these daily habits that you can reliably do to move you forward toward your goals and how can you create systems to ensure that those happen every day Your uh, bio says, uh, mentions habit, uh, habits to maximize time, energy, and focus. Um, why are those three things so important? Yep, I think those are the limiting factors to productivity. So time is the obvious one. Um, and time is the ultimate equalizer. We all have the, the same amount, but we can create leverage there by say increasing the average value of where our time goes. Uh, focus, I think, is the one that's most often missed in that it's generally not the quality of, uh, it's certainly not the quantity of our work, but the quality of our focus, the presence that we bring towards it. That um, I think anyone who's done a Pomodoro versus an unstructured work session understands the value of single tasking. Uh, Multitasking is such a myth, it just means that we're rapidly switching back and forth. And I think as our world becomes more interconnected, this ability to focus for longer periods of time on harder things is going to be a great differentiator. So building that muscle, I think, is super crucial. Uh, focus a lot of times comes down to constraints, as we were talking about before with opportunity costs. It comes building constraints around all of the things that could distract or interrupt you 
from the thing you're trying to do, including your second priority if you're working on your first priority at the time. Uh, the second one is energy, and this one's near and dear to me in that I had a lot of trouble with my energy previously that I misattributed to a lack of motivation. And simple changes like morning stretching, getting away from my computer regularly, um, having a social life, having a hard cutoff at the end of the day where I don't touch work or even think about it, and then making sure I get a nice night of sleep, um, morning routines, meditation, all these small activities that give me energy that put me in that peak state for um, that small amount of work that's actually going to move the ball forward. Um, I look at it as like that first 90 minutes of work when I'm, I have my morning routine and then I work on my most important task for 90 minutes every day. Everything else in the rest of the day is a complete bonus. Um, there are many days that I just stop work there and maybe I'll just like go outside for the day or go, go to meet up some friends. But I protect that 90 minutes like it's sacred. And I think that's where energy comes down to is I, I want to do everything in my power to make sure that when I'm working on a most important thing, I can bring everything I have towards it. So that's why I really kind of zero in on those three buckets. I think all of the potential productivity improvements can fall as one of those three. Yeah, it's so awesome. Um, and a lot of people are struggling with all three of those things and probably more. But I want to learn more about about your techniques because I am very confident that there's that you didn't just learn this overnight. It's been a lot of of trial and error. So when it comes to maximizing your own time, your own energy, your own focus, you briefly hinted at at energy um, and focus, but is there something that has worked really well for you um, for all three of those things? Yeah, I think when I started this, I was trying to figure out, are there human universals that apply across the board? Uh, anyone who's listening to this has probably read too much worthless productivity advice because most of it is takes the form of this works for me, but doesn't really generalize. Um, the main thing that 100% of the time is the kind of the cornerstone of any productivity practice is regular reviews. So that's a daily review as far as what happened today, what went well, what didn't go well, what did I learn type questions. Um, you know, tracking whether you did the things that you're supposed to as far as your daily tasks, your daily habits, and then stepping out a little bit on a weekly planning. What, what, how did the week go? What did I learn? What does next week look like? Given the limited amount of time, what should I do? What, what, what would a successful week look like? So that, that, that dual cycle, the kind of yin and yang of planning and reflection, that's what all of this comes down to, is he who iterates fastest wins. So if you're creating, hey, okay, this just happened, what can I learn from it? What can I not do again? Um, what can I build upon? And okay, what's coming up? How can I ensure this is successful? I think people spend literally years of work and um, trying to avoid one hour of introspection. I find that these little periods of reflection and planning make all the difference. And that's what really applies universally is because no matter what you want to do, adding that habit to your life will have massive effects. Um, that's really the cornerstone. Um, the other thing that I would say that's, I would say is not as, maybe not as controversial, but is, is really worth emphasizing is this idea of a morning routine. So, I mean, I've spent a lot of effort kind of crafting my morning routine because I've learned if I win the morning, I win the day. So thinking about what can I do reliably to move me forward 
and doing it first and treating those treating my mornings as sacred where I don't look at anything until noon. I'm only doing I'm doing my, my morning exercise, I'm meditating, I'm journaling, I'm working 90 minutes on my most important task. And then I open myself up to the world. Like if, if the entire world's on fire, like it can wait until noon. Nothing is that important. And I think everyone kind of jumps into working on everyone else's priorities rather than moving their own forward. So whatever those activities are for you that reliably put you in a good state and reliably move your business forward, prioritize those and do those in the morning. And if you're waking up at noon, do it from noon to three. If you work best in the evenings, do it in the evening. But like having that start of the day that is a very intentional stance towards moving your own priorities forward, um, that's that's a universal thing. Um, and because entropy, um, entropy increases over the day. So like as the day goes on, you get to the afternoon, you get to the evening, your attention's gonna be spread. The amount of things that are landing on your plate are going to increase. But that first period of the day where you have full control, um, that's where you really move things forward. So I'm curious, what time are you actually waking waking up in uh, every morning? Uh, nine. Nine, okay. So then from nine to, uh, I guess, like the first thing you get up, are you grabbing a bite to eat? Like I'm just trying, I'm just genuinely curious about inside your, your internal mind. Um, are you eating? Are you meditating? Are you are you working out? Like what? As soon as you get out of bed, 9 a.m., boom, go, and then what? Uh, I immediately get outside. Uh, I go through some stretches. I do like a light body weight workout. Um, I write in my journal for a half hour about whatever I want. Uh, meditate for 20 minutes. Um, I'll get like a small snack. I'm a huge peanut butter fiend, so it's usually apples and peanut butter these days. And then I set a timer. Um, I have a just like a physical Pomodoro timer, and I set it for the first 30 minutes. And I had already planned my day out the, the night before, so I already know what my most important task is. And I start with three Pomodoros uh, on my most important task. So that, that takes me to noon right there. Um, so I don't schedule any calls before noon. Um, I, don't, yeah, I don't do anything other than those first three hours are consistent. Um, especially at least Monday through Friday every day. And then noon through six is kind of where I switch my posture to, you know, what are the urgent things that I can make progress on? But again, as I said before, if that three hours happens as planned, the rest of the day is complete bonus. That's like taking it from an eight out of 10 to a potential 10 out of 10. And do you think um, food and, and energy and eating uh, somewhat healthy, is, is that a, um, do you think that affects energy and productivity absolutely yeah i i mean i said energy i had massive issues with it and i think diet comes down um people talk about you know physique is 90 percent uh diet i think the same thing could be said about um energy levels so i i, I really wanted to ramp up in this area so i actually hired a nutritionist about a year and a half ago to look at everything i was eating i was logging for a while and kind of creating these recipes of things that I could cook and make very quickly that reliably I got all my macronutrient levels but um, didn't drain my energy. The easiest thing, so I come back to all this time all, all with these feedback loops, easiest way to improve your diet over time, pay attention to how you feel after you eat it. If you don't feel good after you eat, you know, you're spending time in the bathroom or you feel fatigued, um, pay attention to that and just don't eat that thing again. 
So it's just by eliminating, by slowly cutting out the things that you don't feel good because everyone is different, no diet advice generalizes across the population, you can slowly get towards the things that work for you. Um, so yeah, if you, if you figure out things that you can cook really easily that are tasty to you, um, you've solved the game essentially. Funny you say that because the first thing that popped in my head is I actually changed my diet. I used to eat like eggs every single day, and then I switched to oatmeal, and now I'm I'm seeing a completely different, um, just energy level increase because of that that switch. And it does have peanut butter, so uh, I know you're a peanut butter guy. Um, is there? Any it's tr it's treating your uh, treating your life as an experiment, right? Like you said, you're you're holding those variables constant, and you're having a genuine curiosity about yourself. Like if I change this thing, what happens? And you kind of allows you to take the outside view and step out of yourself and say, no decision you make is a failure. It's only a lesson. So I say, oh, okay, I made this change and things got worse. Okay, but I'm still glad I tried it, right? Mm -hmm. And, and you mentioned uh, subtly that you journal every single day for 30 minutes. Um, I guess my question to that is, what are you using to journal? Why do you journal? And if you don't mind, you know, what are you writing in the journal? Yeah, um, so why I write? Because one of my large goals is improving my self-expression, getting my ideas onto a medium of some sort, um, so, so I, I wrote a book this um, this February March, which I've started publishing on my Medium blog, um, one chapter at a time. If you guys want to check that out, um, that basically I hadn't written anything since college, and that all sprouted from my daily journaling practice. Where once I created that space that I'm going to be writing every day, that became all these things that I've been learning in this productivity coaching. How can I distill them down to the essentials um, and and before I knew it, I had like a rough draft of a book. Um, but all it was is just sitting down to write half hour a day. And some days I sit down and I spend the whole time writing about how much I hate writing or, uh, or, it's a, or I'll just kind of beat myself up for the day or how great things are going or something that went wrong and how I can kind of um, improve from that. The, the important thing isn't what you're writing about, but that you create the space to put your butt in a chair and sit down and write, and things will kind of take care of themselves. So you'll generally write about what you need to um, on the given day. The important thing is to not judge yourself. Um, don't go back and read it, I say, for a little bit of time afterwards, but just write about whatever you feel. The important thing is that you, you build a habit of doing it. Um, as far as tools, um, a lot of people are surprised by this, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a very, skeptical when it comes to tools in general, particularly tools that are based on a computer and particularly the internet. So I am very old school and I just write in a moleskin journal because it's something that I can bring with me everywhere. It's, it's that anti-fragility that I'm not reliant on any tool. I can always have it in my pocket. Um, and yeah, I avoid the rabbit hole that is the computer and the internet where um, I found it very hard to sit down and write for 30 minutes. But the trick that I use now is I just sit here in this room with no electronics and just a piece of paper in front of me, and I either stare at the wall for 30 minutes or I write. And you know, whenever I when you give yourself a menu of options, you're going to choose the most desirable options. So to get yourself to do the thing you want, just make the other options not as desirable. So when the other option is staring at the wall, I'll literally do anything. Interesting. That's pretty cool. Um, I, I I I'm curious, like how how many moleskin uh, uh, like uh, how many moleskins do you have? 
I guess it's a moleskin. Is moleskin the the noun here? I yeah, um, I think there's a couple dozen sitting in my yeah. in my closet. So I'll, I'll pull I'll pull them out whenever I have whenever I kind of hit like a macro down cycle and I'm feeling down on myself and it's good to review and say, oh, these things that I thought were a big deal at the time really were trivial. All these feelings passed. So that's kind of like a good I call them fire breaks. So you, to stop a fire, you dig a hole around the fire to contain it. Um, whenever I'm feeling down, I'll review past instances of feeling down and kind of get out, get in my own head. But otherwise, yeah, they just kind of sit sit in the closet. You uh, briefly hinted uh, mentioned about your poker experience, and in in the very beginning, you also mentioned that a lot of your clients are actually those individuals that you once played against or played with. Um, mm-hmm. How important is it to leverage your existing network? And what are some ways that you've been able to do that successfully in order to get clients? Yeah, it's funny you ask that. Um, I know you ask a lot of your your guests about a past failure, and I've had many, I think. Uh, but one that really stood out to me was this reluctance to leverage my own experience and expertise. Um, for a long time after poker, I wouldn't mention it in conversation because I was trying to move on from that part of my life and I didn't want to be associated with that world. And essentially it was like shooting myself in the foot and then going and running the marathon. It's, I have this experience that unilaterally shows my capabilities that, I mean, I did something that millions of people have attempted to do and I was extremely good at it and all of the... Um, skills that are encompassed within that pursuit are kind of displayed there. So I think the same thing applied when I first started this coaching business in that um, I would go on interviews and I wouldn't talk about poker or I would talk to clients and I was only talking about my entrepreneurial experience. But then I decided, hey, I have this big audience of people who I already have a massive following. I already have a lot of respect and we have to speak common language where I basically know exactly what these guys, mostly guys, are going through. Um, Why aren't I helping the people I know how to help? Or why aren't I talking about the things that I uh, I know how to talk about? Where so so many of these mental models um, transfer over really well to entrepreneurship. I've given given a couple talks recently on that as far as like the lessons you can learn from poker to entrepreneurship. And yeah, I think that would be a failure that I've learned from is use the resources that you have don't like artificially handicap yourself particularly because of your ego because you're trying to um you're trying to tell a different story like look at it from the outside view as far as you're a character and your own story and say why isn't that guy doing this like hey in my case like hey this is like a formerly best poker player in the world why isn't he talking about his poker experience? He's talking about his small business that he started that no one's heard of, right? Um, very obvious things from the outside. Uh, take the own, take your own obvious advice. Like, look at your life and say, "Wow, what, why aren't why aren't I doing that? What's what? How's my ego getting in the way? Why don't I try it?" So. Mm, that's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, it's a real a real life experience here, and 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 that's uh, that makes it that that much more real. Was it difficult to use to leverage your network to for, to have them become like I understand it was a failure for you for you um, at, at one point, but was it difficult to leverage that and say like, hey, I used to be X, now I'm this. Um, 
you know, I have an awesome product. I have an awesome service. Do you want to be a part of it? So hard for me. So hard. Um, I hate sales and especially when you're the <laughs> Everyone product. Does. You're, you're, Everyone does. It's especially hard when you're the product. And I think I had a lot of these limiting beliefs and fears about how people would interpret what I'm doing. I think just because, I mean, let's be honest, the vast majority of coaches uh, should not be coaching and probably are not worth the amount they're charging. I had this huge stigma around myself, around labeling myself a coach, where it's what right do I have for people to be paying me for advice? All of this kind of imposter syndrome type stuff, um, where I, I think that was another failure that I look at very closely is a failure to launch by having all of these untested assumptions and that all of my friends are not going to talk to me anymore. I'm going to be a laughingstock. Uh, no, no one's going to sign up because I have nothing to offer. Like, what do I know about productivity? I'm so unproductive. All these things that pop up where having one client and making one post on social media, oh, everyone's really supportive and oh, I can add a lot of value. It's funny, like as soon as you cast some light on some of these unvalidated assumptions, they all go away. Um, I'm, I'm totally losing track of your, your question as I get off, as well, I, just, as I kind of go on like a tangent, a, but the, well, no, I mean, it's a good tangent because it, it makes, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess. Oh, how hard, how hard was yeah. it to sell? Yeah. So every client that I have now comes from referral. Every single client that I have, I'm, I'm super, um, I'm super choosy in who I work with because I'm essentially taking on their own problems and challenges onto my back and making them my own. So are they working on something interesting and impactful? Are these things that I think I can help with? If not, I'm, I'm going to refer them to something else because my goal isn't to make money. My goal is to help. And I think once those interests are aligned, everything kind of comes into focus. So the way I look at it is I was trying so long, to, so hard to market myself and sell myself and build a brand and unsuccessfully, not that my efforts weren't successful, but I was failing to make efforts because it was just was really untasteful to me. And then I realized that my product is the marketing, that if I legitimately help the people that I work with, if they become way more productive and successful, they won't be able to help themselves, but talk to, talk to their friends, right? Their friends are going to ask them, Hey, wow, like, you just been crushing it lately. Like what's going on? What, what's changed? And that's when it'll come up. And so I never have to sell anyone. Anytime someone comes to me, they've already talked to their friend who said like all the incredible results they got. So it's when I stopped worrying about how can I sell myself? How can I build a brand or an audience? And just how can I add value to my clients? And everything has taken off from there. And just the, I think a lot of it also comes down to framing in terms of being referable making yourself easy to refer so having like the quick blurb of like here's the two sentences how i can help people here's the basic pdf you can send to your friends they can click a link on this calendly to set up a free call making it very easy to be referable but also the framing where after i've helped somebody and they say oh my god like i was at the least productive in my life and now i'm in the most productive that's awesome man hey do you know anyone else who could use this help that's the only question you need and so it's it's just framing the right question and saying, hey, if you've been helped so much, is there anyone else that you'd like to help? If out of all the things that you used, you mentioned sending over a Calendly link, uh, having a blurb, having like a PDF, 
do any of them work better than the others when it comes to getting a client? I think they're all nice to have. Um, I mean, Calendly is great for my own convenience and avoiding that, that back and forth and making it so people can set up a call without having to talk to me, right. which seems, doesn't seem like it should be a barrier, but it is. Um, but yeah, I think it really comes down to, you know, go doing a good job for the clients. Um, all of those, like when I first started off, I think, I don't know if I mentioned, I, I was like, I was just kind of spinning my wheels on starting this business, I think because of those limiting beliefs we were talking about before. And I actually was just talking to a good friend of mine about what I was thinking about doing. And he said, awesome, I'll become your first client. It's like, I wasn't even selling him. He just kind of bought. And then I had, he's like, okay, well, how much does it cost? And I didn't, had no idea. And I just typed up like a, a simple Google doc in like, you know, Times New Roman font, one page, and this is how I'm going to help you. And this is how much it costs. I used that document for like six months. It was never, it was never an issue of, okay, I might need to polish a new website or I need these documents to be really high design. It's just like, Hey, when they show up for a call, when they show up, when they send me a message, am I helpful? Uh, I think that's really what it comes down to. Very true. Yeah. Well said. Uh, I have one major, uh, question. Um, the blind entrepreneur was uh, created and is an individual to help people who may be temporarily blind in business, can't see the obvious, they may be stuck in a particular place and they just can't get out of it. So if you could give three pieces of advice to an entrepreneur, what would you say to them? Yeah, I really like this idea of being blind right taking taking the red pill and that it's impossible to be objective about ourselves so that i won't count this as one of my three but as i hinted at before uh feedback is the uh we'll call it the, this is a terrible metaphor feedback is the lasik for entrepreneurship making sure that you're getting feedback constantly from your customers and if you don't have customers from your friends who know and respect what you're doing um don't rely on yourself to be objective about what you need to do. It's, it's impossible to be objective about ourselves. Um, I'll, I'll count that as like a, I'll count that as appendix. Um, number, first one, um, as I hinted at before, I, I, I believe very firmly that life is a single player game and that we are the only ones who can define success for ourselves. So don't, don't move towards somebody else's goals. First decide what's important and then design your life around that. So if, if, you're le if, you, if you really value freedom and autonomy, uh, maybe you shouldn't be trying to build you know, a venture-backed business, right? Um, or if you want to do something at the world scale, why are you living on a beach in Thailand? Right. So think about what's important in your life and align everything around that and things will tend to fall in place. Um, I mentioned before that productivity comes from constraints, um, that a lot of a lot of productivity comes from knowing your priorities and sculpting your schedule around that. Um, opportunity cost is so costly. So think about whatever you're doing right now. You could literally, watching this podcast, it seems like, you literally could be doing anything in the world. You could be doing anything. Life has this massive buffet of options. But did you really think intentionally about your decision to do this? Um, is this the best thing you could be doing right now? If it's not, like, feel free to turn this off. I won't mind. But at all times, um, 
what you're doing comes at the expense of what you could not be doing. So um, there's not enough time in your life to half-ass things or to hold back because you're scared. No one's really paying attention. So once you've once you've really come to terms with those priorities, like just go after it and let the other treat the other things like a distraction. Um, and then the final thing I'll, I'll just kind of reiterate is if you want to do something, make it more natural to do in the future. Uh, I think we can kind of treat ourselves as you know, deterministic creatures that we could perfectly predict our future behavior if we know the context we're going to be in. So sculpt that hill, if you think of water flowing downhill, sculpt that hill and you control where the water is going. If you create an environment for yourself to be successful, you will be successful. Um, I mean, some, some uh, examples from my own life, um, back in my poker days, uh, when I went from living alone to living in a house with four poker players, my my play volume doubled. Like I didn't change anything else, but just, oh, everyone else is playing and working hard. Maybe I should be playing and working hard as well. Um, I felt like I was not being social enough. Okay, I move in with roommates who are planning social events and hosting all the time. Now the most natural thing for me to do is to have a really active social life. Um, think about what your goals are and, and like how can you create an environment that makes it more natural to pursue those. Um, you essentially create your own defaults. Mm. Being self-aware of that too, yeah, and, and that's so key. I mean, thank the you. advice that you've been that, uh, given today has been uh, incredible. So thank you so much, Chris, for everything that you've said thus far. Uh, a, a great, great interview with a lot of insight from a true professional. Um, so again, thank you. Um, Right now, the, the podcast is officially completed. You've successfully done it. Uh, so congratulations to you, uh, Chris. Um, and the next 30 seconds or so is all yours. Feel free to go ahead, look into the camera, give us like a quick pitch. How can people follow your journey? How can they be a part and learn more about your services and also you as a professional? Probably the easiest way to find me if you're curious to learn more is a website, which is theforcingfunction.com. You can also find me on all the usual suspects in terms of social media channels. Uh, my handle on all of them is Sparks Remarks, as in Remarks by Sparks, it rhymes. Um, I love talking about productivity and personal development, so if anything that I said today struck a chord, please reach out. I'd love to hear your feedback or more importantly, clarify anything I said or answer any questions. And all of your uh, information is going to be in the show notes to everybody else who is still watching and listening to the podcast. Thank you guys for always liking, commenting and subscribing until next time. My friend, Chris, have a good rest of your day. Right, thanks. Thank you so much for watching this video. Don't forget to follow me on any and all social media platforms using the long last name above, followed by the letter J. If you want to get lost into the dark abyss of YouTube, click either left or right for another video. And finally, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. No, seriously, don't forget.